Welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast with your host, Scott McMahon. Hi, and welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast, filmmaking freedom for the independent. This is a podcast where we focus on making and selling your film for online self-distribution. A perfect way to get started is to pick up the book, How to Make and Sell Your Film Online and Survive the Hollywood Implosion, while doing it. It's available as a paperback, in Kindle ebook, as well as an audiobook. In fact, you can get the audiobook for free when you go to survivetheimplosion.com. When you go to that link, you can sign up with Audible for their free trial and get the book for free. Again, that's at survivetheimplosion.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Um, it's been a while since I've produced an episode of podcasts. Uh, things have been quite busy, a lot of different projects going on, which I will fill you in in uh, the upcoming episodes. But I want to just jump into this particular episode because up here in Portland, Oregon, um, my today's guest is Kelly Baker, known as the Angry Filmmaker. So <laughs> it's kind of funny because he's actually quite like sort of soft-spoken. He's a very sweet man. Um, but his friends was talking about like how his he's not quite angry himself, but like the the uh, films he makes are you know have this sort of angry edge in terms of uh, point of view and so on. But it's quintessential like Portland, and you know a lot of you may know his work as the sound designer and the supervising sound editor, and you know a lot of Gus Van Sant's uh, films such as My Own Private Idaho, Finding Forrester, Psycho, Goodwill Hunting. So, yeah, you know, not only that, but, you know, Kelly is actually a graduate of the USC Film School, um, not only getting a bachelor's degree, but an MFA as well. And so he resides up here in Portland, Oregon, and he is a very well-known um, entity here in the filmmaking scene. So I, I've always known about uh, the work he's done um, as the angry filmmaker. He's uh, written uh, two books on the filmmaking uh, topic and the subject. One's called The Angry Filmmaker Survival Guide Part 1, Making the Extreme No-Budget Film, as well as The Angry Filmmaking, I'm sorry, The Angry Filmmaker Survival Guide Part 2, Sound Conversations with Unsound People. <laughs> so it's classic. Why, you know, some guy's doing, um, you know, the sound work on some very notable, notable films, especially in the independent film scene. Um, might as well pick up the survival guide um, for the man himself. But he just recently wrote and published and released this book called Road Dog, which chronicles like over seven years he spent touring in the U.S. in his van showing his independent films um, to different colleges and, um, you know, bars and, and, and different, um, organizations where he was showing his films, but also doing workshops and, you know, living sort of that romantic ideal of what if you took your film on the road, especially here in the United States, which is huge, you know, like each state you go to is like another country, (laughs) but he's done it. And he shares his experiences within the book. And I can tell you this much. It's not just about his travels, but the the, the cover is a picture of his dog, um, his big chocolate lab, Moses. And um, and I can tell you, it's it, there's a lot of just funny, you know, endearing stories within the book. And it, you know, leaves you uh, choked up at the end. It did for me anyway. So without further ado, I'm just going to jump right into it. You'll hear Kelly and I talking at uh, this wonderful restaurant, uh, O'Connor's in um, Southwest Portland. And so you'll, you know, you'll hear restaurant activity going on, but hopefully it doesn't distract you. Hopefully it just creates more of like you're just sitting in, eavesdropping on our conversation. So without further ado, just sit back and imagine what it's really like to spend that many years on the road. In fact, Kelly and his daughter are about to do the tour again this fall. So if you listen to the episode and you happen to live in a city where he might be coming, 
you know, please go reach out to, to talk to him and, and, you know, mention that you heard uh, the podcast and you wanted to meet him. So without further ado, here's Kelly Baker, the angry filmmaker here on the Film Trooper podcast. Stop. Like, I'm actually curious, had there already been sort of like a business, like, um, I guess like a business model that you followed that said, I'm going to put myself on the road and book myself like a band. What, did you see anyone else in the filmmaking space do that? Or did you just mirror it after rock bands? Total punk thing. Total, Total punk, punk thing. Do I, yeah. DIY. You know, filmmakers have traveled forever. You go back into the 20s and even pre, you know, they're coming to the small town to show, you know, the coolest little, the train coming at you and that stuff. So what I was doing was not new. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a dog and pony show to yeah. a certain extent. Uh, producers in the 50s would bring their new horror film to town, you know, and this is so scary, you're going to need the bags to throw up in. So, you know, there was always that huckster. P.T. Barnum, yeah. showman, yeah. Big time. Um, but what I looked at that, and, you know, one of the things I made, I wrote and directed all these short films, and then I made these three features. And distributors liked them, but didn't want them. And, you know, and friends of mine were really into it. But I really, I hit this point where I said, I've got these movies I've made, and I believe they're good. Mm-hmm. What do I do? And I could sit at home and try to put them up on the web or try all these different things. But I kind of went, you know what? I want to know who my audience is. I want to go out there and do this. And it was only, it was supposed to be a one-off. Okay. I only planned on doing it the one time. Like, and one-off, like, in terms of, like, how many cities that you think, like, or towns that you might go to? I, I wasn't even sure at that point because <laughs> the very first tour was semi-organized, but I had enough free days that if something popped up, I could go off and do something. And since... I didn't know anybody who was doing what I was doing with the short, you know, with the films. And I'd show either the shorts or the features, and I would teach workshops. Um, I want to be open to any possibilities that came up. Mm-hmm. And so, in a lot of times, you'd get this, you know, well, what you're doing is kind of weird, but sure, come here, and if you draw well, then we'll keep bringing you back. Mm. And so, sometimes it was, and, and part of it was, how outgoing can I be? How good can I be? Because if I don't do this well I'm gonna know I'll probably yeah. you know come back broke if I can come <laughs> back at all um, but yeah, at the end of the first tour like I said I had money in my pockets and I had people saying when are you coming back huh. and I kind of went okay I can do this this can now be kind of a longer form thing and it was neat to meet my audience you yeah. know some of them were absolutely nuts yeah <laughs> uh, but they were u- almost always appreciative and the fact that I showed up at the, in the flyover states. Because, mm-hmm. you know, one of my philosophies with all this stuff was I need to go where other people don't go. Yeah. If I come to Chicago, I'm just another schmuck with a movie. Yeah, yeah. If I come to Tulsa, I'm news. Mm-hmm. And I could get the local papers to write me up about my visit. And I would call them saying, you know, hi, I'm Kelly Baker. I did this and this and this. And man, have I got a story for you. Nice. And be like, okay, what? Yeah. I was like, I'm in a van with my dog, and you know, and I've gone from doing goodwill hunting as the sound designer to showing my own films all over the country, and a lot of these newspapers and stuff is like, this is great. This is we want to write about you. We want you know, and I was doing interviews, driving at 80 miles an hour down the road trying to get to the next gig, you know, and so it, it really got this momentum, which was a hoot. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was also to a certain point unexpected in that first year. Okay. I did Just not think it was going to be that. I was going to be embraced like that. How many? How much in the book was part of that first year? 
Um, I have to remember. Because, <laughs> I mean, I, I did this for seven, seven plus years with a dog. Okay. And then a couple years without the dog. There's a few chapters. I think there's one chapter in there, specifically the first tour. Because the very first tour, the dog didn't go with me because right. I borrowed a pickup truck. And I borrowed a canopy top from another friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And that's when I burned all of my DVDs one at a time on an old computer. Oh, man, yeah. And printed them one at a time. Yeah. I mean, I think I was holed up in my apartment for like three weeks doing nothing but burning and printing and packaging. You know, everything was all done by hand. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, like I said, there is a chapter about the first tour, but then things took off okay. after that. But, you know, the book is no... It's not really in any kind of an order. It bounces around. Yeah, it's just like the snippets. I mean, like, so, but yeah. it's, that's fascinating. It's yeah. funny when you're talking about the DVD burning. It's like, uh, for young people, there's like, let's just, there's a cutoff. But there used to be, for those of us who've seen that, at, uh, the change from film to, to digital to video, uh, video right. to digital. But I remember just how excited it was that you could actually control and create your own DVD. Yeah. Like, that was bonkers. That was so like, cool. To yeah. print the way, how you want your movie to look like, or whatever it is, to create the menus the way you want to. Mm -hmm. It's like, and actually feel like, this is legit. Like, this is, like, that was amazing. I'm real. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a professional. Yeah. Oh, it was, I remember putting that stuff together and, yeah. and proudly handing it off to somebody because it was physical. It right. was, it, you, there was something you created from it. Yeah. And I was just like, you know, because prior to that, I remember putting on VHS. Right. I had, um, <laughs> I remember uh, I worked at a video store. It was like a mom and pop store, store outside. Those were the best. Best. You know, um, made a lot of their money in the adult section. <laughs> you know, people come in you, and you get to know your neighbors quite well. Like, you know, I was just a young kid. They're like, oh, you know. So, but I remember the owners allowed me to rent out my short film that I had done. That was just a, you know, video. Right. But it, I got to the place where I was able to print it out or make copies on a VHS, say, uh, you know, deck to deck yeah. and make the labels. And I was able to put the SKU uh, sticker on there, put it in the computer system yeah. and, um, and be able to check it out for people, the, the, the patrons of the neighborhood. And right. I, I thought it was my first experience of like, how fun is this like making it kind of real? But remember then DVDs coming out. But that, that, so your yeah. stories about just burning them one at a time yeah. brought back a flush of memories of what it's like to, to have that sort of satisfaction. Yeah. Well, and it's still, at that point too, it was still like, it, it, was, it was so much yours. It was still, you know, because I'm a dinosaur. I come up with film. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I learned how to cut film with a razor blade and tape. Mm -hmm. And so you know, it was very hands-on. And even burning the DVDs one at a time, you know, and I get ink all over my hands from, you know, the printer, <laughs> right, right. you know, and God only knows what I spent in cartridges oh, uh, yeah. for this. But it, it still felt like it was, you were creating something. Each one was an individual thing that you were creating. Yeah. And I created a thousand of them before I oh hit the gosh. road, I, you know. So you must have had, if you're printing, you had like the, 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 the white printable DVDs. Absolutely. And then you, did you have a specific printer? It was an old Hewlett Packard. Well, you went through a couple of them. One was a brother, I think. And it finally just kind of just died. Oh, okay. You know, you can only put so many DVDs yeah, yeah. <laughs> through one of these. Things. And then I had an HB, which finally just died. 
Um, wow. I hadn't printed DVDs on it in years. I used it for you know everything else in addition to. But that old HP probably ran 2,000 DVDs in its lifetime printed. And you know we're talking full color. Right. Going. Yeah. Was like, I can't believe we're having a conversation about this, but it's just, it's just ridiculous <laughs> because I remember like uh, having to do labels. Yep. And getting the damn thing to be lined up right for the labels. And you can't do that on DVDs. Yeah, like they would never work. The, the well, laser. if you're off at all, since that thing's spinning. Yeah, yeah. It's, it makes it spin differently, and you can't show the thing. So it, they had to be printed on, and right. then they have to dry. <laughs> right? you know, so I'd have all these things laid out mm-hmm. on, on butcher paper, just drawing before I could put them into the boxes. And so it was this whole elaborate, crazy right, right. thing. Um, you know, and like I said, my, I don't know, my, ha- my living room looked like a giant craft store. <laughs> yeah. You know, just piled everywhere. But it worked. Totally. I think... Our, we had eventually got an HP printer that was specific. They had a little tray yeah. that was specific for the CDs, DVDs, yeah. and that was, I was in heaven. I couldn't oh, believe time. this actually existed. Yeah. And like you're right, the smearing of, it took me a while to get my, my graphics, my Photoshop file in order, and like, right. wait, that didn't print out correctly. And No, anyway, so just bring back memories. I can't, yeah. So we, we, can, we can move on, the but I was laughing. The smell of Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when, that, when you're... We're seeing all these iterations of like what it makes it feel like your movie was legit or yeah. real, you know. But so you did this. You go through the first year, and you're like, and you're allowing yourself to have that sort of road trip adventure. And you know, off the air, we were originally we had talked about being punk rock, and, and right. you're talking about a story about bumping into like No Doubt, you know, and they were yeah. coming out hungover like right after the right the first after album. the show. Yeah, well, it's interesting because. My only road trip experience was I was 17 years old going into my senior year of high school. I I had gone to a creative arts school when I was younger. And so I had, even though I was young, I had all these older friends who were now out of high school. And they were playing in this ska reggae band. And they were doing quite well in the same ilk of, like, uh, no doubt. Right. And they were going on tour for the summer. So my summer before my senior year of high school, I was a roadie in this makeshift you know school bus and we started in san diego and we went all around the country and to new york all over the place but i for anyone who's thinking about it like if you're young enough you have an opportunity you 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 kind of need to do a road you need to do this road experience uh this book i just uh was given as a gift was um um brian cranston's book Uh it's called um a life in parts or something well, he, it's. I recommend if you're going to get the book, as I was given as a gift, but it was given as an audiobook. It's Brian Cranston reading his like autobiography to you, and there's. I don't know why you would want to read it when you can hear Brian Cranston perform it for you. Big time. And Big time. he tells about a story about he and his brother on motorcycles in like the 70s, doing this road trip, yeah. and uh, how he they got stuck in a really nasty uh, three-day storm the rain yeah. and he just remembers this this patterns of the rain on his hand and stuff like that but these memories that when I listened to him talk about that and then I read your book I was like oh my gosh like it's like <laughs> these are experiences and I'm thinking of my own experience these are experiences worth having so as I babbled a lot can right. you tell me sort of like someone who wanted to know how to do this or go about doing this what is the myth? What's the realities? What's the glamour? What's the like the hidden, you know, silver lining? And what's the reality of like, get ready, you're gonna have to do something like this. <laughs> well, it's you know, because and I 
camera if I told you not, I'm doing it again this fall. Yes, we're going to be announcing that for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, when I was in my, and I hate to say this because this is, <laughs> you know, when I was in my late 40s and early 50s, this was a lot easier. You know, when I do this next <laughs> time, I'm going to be 61. Oh, my gosh. You look a lot younger than that. Thank so. you. <laughs> Thank you. I'll buy lunch. <laughs> no, but um, it's a lot of work because you have to book as much as you can before you leave. Mm-hmm. And so I'm spending so much time, and I did, you know, in the prep of any two months, because I'd only go off for two months at a time, because when you come back, you need a month of, to recover. Right. Because, you know, you do get road crazy. Um, but, you know, it, it's a ton of work if you want to do it, but it's gratifying because you meet fascinating people. And I met amazing people at rest areas. Yeah. Or truck stops. I mean, there's the gigs that you're doing, and there's the shows. And people come up and talk to you afterwards. And, you know, I heard some great stories. And I have friends that I made out on the road that are still really close friends today. Nice. And so, you know, that's the adventure. That's the the dog and I spent a couple of days in Kill Devil Hills, you know, at the North Carolina to the Outer Banks. Because mm-hmm. that's where the pirates were. And that's where, you know, this is stuff that I read as a kid. So to be yeah. able to go there, you know, and see all this stuff. And, and to be there with my dog. I mean, it was really, really cool. Yeah. Right, and so that was an amazing thing. I think I told you or wrote about going to see this one uh, museum exhibit that was only going to be in Cincinnati. It's the only time that this, these paintings were going to be in the U.S. Right, and I was a huge fan, of, you know. And so being able to do stuff like that—that's the plus. That's the you know. And there's experiences that I will never forget. Did you have an inkling that that would be the kind of the one thing that's that was the, th- the through line for these adventures, or did you discover it after your first tour? Like, you know what, like you know, maybe there's a business part of it. Like, I gotta get to, I gotta go do these shows, I gotta do these workshops, I gotta get paid, I gotta make sure I collect right. and I move forward. But was it like, did you always have in the back of your mind, like I'm doing this because I'm ready for this adventure and to meet new people, or did that after one year doing it, you're going? You know what was the interesting silver lining about this whole thing was the relationships. I don't think I thought about the relationships when I started. Okay. I knew it was going to be an adventure. And I think a lot of my friends were probably saying, he's going to fail. <laughs> you know, this is not going to work. He's nuts. And I set myself up to, for the possibility of failure. Okay. In that, when I left town that very first time, I had a full tank of gas and like 150 bucks in my pocket. Oh, and man. And that was it. And I had to get to Colorado for my first actual gig. Oh, my God. And so if I didn't make money in Colorado, I didn't have enough money to get home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it was one of those things. And I set this up so that every time I do go out, I have a limited amount of money on me for each gig that I do. So that I work really, really hard to do the best show that I can do. And yeah, I have to sell merchandise. I need to, you know, make it's, I don't want to see myself getting lazy out there. Yeah. You know, yeah. I've already got money in the bank, so who really cares? You know, here's my movie. See you later. We can right. talk later. It's like, no, I'm out here to present and I'm representing everything that I am and the things that I've done. And I want the enjo- audience to get something out of it. You yeah. know, they might hate me, but you yeah. know, but I mean, <laughs> hopefully they enjoy the whole thing. But so if you set things up so that you can easily fail, Mm-hmm. If you don't, if you're not into it 100%. So even on those days that I was exhausted or in the early days, there were times when I was hungover, you know, I still had to give 200%. Otherwise, there was no money in my pocket. At the right. end of the day. And, I, and I don't want to reduce it to it was all about the money. But when you're out on the road, you <laughs> need to, you know, keep bringing something in. And, you know, I'm a working filmmaker. Yeah. I don't have a trust fund. I don't have these things. And so I need to make money 
with my work. Right. And, and I really wanted to expand my um, audience. Mm-hmm. I wanted more people to, to see my work because, especially with the features, I had a whole crew. I had all these actors who believed in the films enough that they gave me some, one of the most important things they had, which was their time. Right. And we made these films, and I want people to see their work. I want people to see these amazing actors, this, the work that my DP and the crew did. Yeah. That was, I felt like it was part of a commitment that I made to them for coming out to work with me on the films. Because, you know, we see too many people who will make a film, and eh, it doesn't do well, whatever, and then they want to go off to the next one. Well, you still got this film that all these people worked on because right. they believed in you. Right. What are you going to do with that? And I just felt like it was really, really important to make sure that people saw that film or those films. Yeah. And, you know, I had a commitment to the people who were so good about working with me. Uh, me- you know, so that was, that was really important. That's really cool because it's... it's- it's definitely like an example of the like ultimate hustle. Like I am going to put my mind, body, soul, my blood out there to mm-hmm. hit the road and do a grassroots level of engagement. Right. Because um, we are so removed uh, with the technology now that you, you don't, you know, have to go out and be in person to do that. Right. And just that uh, commendable because it's like, you know, this particular filmmaker, I was involved with that. They're, he's out there hustling it. Yeah. Like you're right. As an actor, you know, you get involved with some project. I don't, I don't even see half the stuff I've ever done. I have no idea what any of it looks like. And that's you know? wrong yeah. to me. As, as a filmmaker, that's wrong that you haven't seen that. Yeah. That they have not, that the filmmakers have not followed up and done everything they can. Besides, you know, because, oh, we're going to just send this off to Sundance. Well, who gives a rat's ass about Sundance anymore? And the odds are you're not going to get in anyway. Right, right. You know, but, and by doing the tours, I was eventually able to go back to a lot of the same places. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of my films, uh, Bird Dog, mm-hmm. is about the Vanport flood, 1948, the dikes. You know, it's based on a historic, it's a fiction film. It's based on a real historic event. And, you know, after uh, Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans, I got a couple of phone calls from southern theaters and places in that area that knew me and knew the film and said, we want you to bring that film back because your film, which is you know 10 years old at that point, yeah. but your film is more relevant now than hmm. it's ever been because of what happened with Hurricane Katrina and the response. It's so similar to what happened in Oregon yeah. in 1948. Yeah. And so luckily, I mean, I had those contacts out there and I've made those connections over the years that to have them call me and say, we want to be in on your next tour, and this is, we want you to bring this film, because it's going to spark discussion. Yeah, interesting. And so that, to me, was a really, really cool thing, too. And that's one of the other, the silver linings, if you will, or whatever. And you can't put a price tag on that. And that's what, like, so that's the, yeah, it's the, when you pass away, like I'm saying, we're talking about right. mortality, but when, you, when we get to that place, yeah. you know, it's like that life worth li- lived. It's in terms of those experiences, like the, the, there's not a price tag to it at all. No, and it's interesting, and I don't know how appropriate this is or whatever. You know, I went to USC's film school, mm-hmm. and you know, and they crank out all sorts of people to go straight to Hollywood. Yeah. And a bunch of my contemporaries did go, and they've done, <laughs> and they've all done really, really well. Whereas, you know, I moved north, and I started creating my own pathway with the independent, because I've always believed in independent filmmaking anyway. But, you know, I kind of went my own way. And I was actually over, I did a tour once of the UK. Hmm. And my old college roommate, um, he had a place in, in Dublin. He and his wife would spend some time there. And he'd work over there or he'd work in the Bay Area. 
And we were having a beer one night in this little Irish pub. And it was the first time I'd seen him in quite a few years. And he said, I need to apologize to you. <laughs> I was like, you know, what? what are you talking about? You know, he said, a lot of the people that we went to school with think that you're absolutely nuts. <laughs> and that by doing these tours and yeah. going out with your films and all that stuff, they think that's just absolutely crazy. And I said, yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, I, I knew, you know, that they thought I was nuts. And he said, and I need to apologize because I never stood up for you. And he said, and I realize now what you're doing is what so many of us wanted to do, mm. but we're afraid to. Yeah. And he started taking, and he's done really well on these high budgeted films and stuff. He's a, a, a sound mixer. Yeah. Um, he started taking all sorts of little independent, little foreign films and all that stuff. And he kind of made a big switch in his career because he said, those are the films that I always loved, but they never had the budget. Mm -hmm. But I realized I was chasing the wrong thing. And I don't mind working on some of those big budgeted things for the paycheck. Yeah. But for my soul, I have to do the smaller stuff. Uh And that meant a lot to me, you know, that he felt the need to bring this up. Yeah. It never, it didn't, matter to me one way or the other whether he defended me or not you know I mean it's to me that's not a big deal but the fact that he had to bring it up and say that he realized that what I was doing was the right thing yeah. that really affected me see that was, yeah and that's tough can't put a price tag on no, it no no just the courage to go out and do it right not knowing if it's affecting anybody you're in really right. your mindset's probably like I just gotta get the next paycheck I gotta make sure they're gonna pay me and move right. on right can I ask you what um if a filmmaker now, a young person or a group of guys or girls and gals, um, what is like your tips? Like what kind of like get ready, this is like if you're going to embark on something like this, um, here's some things to think about. Well, the whole thing, first and foremost, there are no rules. <laughs> you know, I, I love mean, that. There yeah, really yeah. are not. Yeah. And so if somebody else was going to do this, their experiences are probably be totally different than mine. Um, but, you know, the biggest thing is, and especially when I go to film festivals and I get paid sometimes to go to film festivals and do lectures and stuff but I always tell everybody it's like be friendly be open you know don't drink too much when you're at one of these things because they watch that you know but um, give it everything you got you know and to be open you're no better than the audience you're no better than anybody else you know you you want them to identify with you you want them to identify with your work you want them to see that even though you know they're the audience but you're right there with them mm-hmm. you know and that's finding out who my audience was and is was really really important to me at the time yeah uh, and it still is and it's like because these are the people who are going to determine whether you make the next movie or not to a certain extent you know you want them to uh, to like your work and want to see the next film you want them to next time they come see you if you're in town you want them to bring their friends with them yeah you got to go check out this guy's work or this woman's work she is amazing she's funny the film is good Mm -hmm. and they bring friends and it gets bigger and it's bigger bigger. and that is the Turing ethos of a punk band Yeah. yeah you know I'm gonna do I'm gonna do everything I got for this show and hopefully when I come back there will be more people but the experiences of being out on the road and you know when you show your film and then you get up in front of a crowd of strangers you have you know I mean you're naked yeah really and if they like your film 
you're good. If they don't, you know, how are you going to handle that? Yeah. How are you going to, are you going to be gracious? Yeah. Are you going to be, you know, are you going to deflect? Are you going to, you know, I always say never get defensive. Never get defensive. Right. People, no matter what people say about your work, you know, they didn't get it or they don't like it, whatever. That's great. Move, you know, and I would much rather have somebody hate my work than be lukewarm about it. Yeah, yeah. You know, oh, yeah, nice little movie. You know, that means you're forgettable. Right. But I really hated this film, and here's why. And it's like, awesome. I connected. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's a good, bad, or indifferent. I connected. But <clears throat> we have screenings, especially when we finish a film. Our family and our friends are there, and they love it no matter what. You know, mm-hmm. it's like your mom and dad love you no matter what. You know, you can do a lot of horrible things but they're still and you know your friends are trying to be supportive but when you're in the middle of the country and you're showing your work they don't have to love you yeah they don't have to care and that's where you get really honest responses and you know the first year I would sit in the back of the theater or wherever and listen to the audience and I was always surprised at where they laughed or where they didn't or I mean there was always Mm -hmm. interesting things coming up depending on the audience and depending on what they're bringing to it yeah um, so I learned a lot about filmmaking and I learned a lot about communication that way and and I think that that's one of my advi- my tips to other filmmakers if you're going to go out and do this embrace it and go for the experience learn to read the audience and see why they do or they don't like your work mm-hmm. what is working what isn't um, and be grateful for the experience you know be grateful for that because <clears throat> we don't get a lot of experiences like that. No. It's really easy. I mean, this is something that comedians deal with all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, and actors, when they do, when they go out and will do a, a show on the road, the touring companies, they get this all the time. But filmmakers, we can be really, really insulated. Yeah. And we can also not care. And I think that's the problem. Mm. Not caring about your audience. And I'm not saying cater to them. I'm saying care about them. What are their interests? What are they? And are are you are you, are you meeting that interest? Are you you know are you able to set up a dialogue? Yeah. What is the the logistics? So like when you're you know coming from like Oregon, so you're plotting your like you plot you plot your points because right. I remember we plotted our points from San Diego. Right. So if anybody's listening to this, like okay, why my origins is my city? Like any advice in terms of like knowing how long actually a drive takes, what time of year, uh, like, because I, I remember on the band side of things, they had already scheduled it out. It's like, we got to get to Arizona by this day. Oh, my gosh, the whole van, the whole bus broke down. Yep. What's our contingency plan? Are we calling to cancel? And, like, you know, we got they got to a certain place. Like, well, we got to hit Houston this night, but then we got to jam up to Dallas, or whatever, Dallas next. Like, it's... It's one thing like to plot it on paper. It's another thing to hit the road and actually do it to see the weird variables that happen. And is there any tips you can kind of give of like, how do you go about when you start trying to book? Like you're cold calling saying, hi, I see you have an art theater or you have a school program. Like I want to introduce myself. I'm going on this tour. I'd love to put you in this schedule slot. Would you, do you have something like that? How does that, how do logistics work like that? I. In the early days, I thought I'd look at a map and say, "Yeah, I can do that. I can do that drive. No big deal." And you know that led <laughs> the to the map of like this, you know, one inch line. Yeah. I think I can make in a day. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I mean, that's why I ended up on that one uh, tour. I had to drive 20 hours. Yeah, to do a 9 a.m. you know workshop the following morning, and, and that almost killed me. 
and I'm driving by myself. I don't have, you know, the dog has no opposable right. thumbs, so it's all... So you when you're driving, so are you going like, why, next time, why? Yeah. Oh, and it's like, okay, you know, get, get a better map, and also look up mileages. Right. And so now with the new tour, I've got this whole thing laid out to where how many miles is it from this city to this city? Some of the stuff I know, but I'm still going through and using MapQuest to write it all out, mm. and then I'm looking at the calendar saying, can I do this in a day, or should I give myself a day and a half? And, you know, and I'm really, because that does add into it. That yeah. does affect weather effects. I only, um, anymore, I'm only going to tour in the fall, and yeah. would be September, October. Mm. And I always start north the northern part of the country and I come home the southern part okay because that's going to give me the best weather because yeah. there's no way I'm going to do Wyoming or Salt Lake City in late October early November mm-hmm. you know then I'm just asking for bad weather yeah but to come across Texas Oklahoma those periods of time at that you know I, I learned that because I used to do a spring tour too and the spring tour you could never figure out what the weather was going to be <laughs> right and so I've driven through more rainstorms I've driven through snowstorms I mean it was in April in Pittsburgh I did a thing and almost couldn't find my hotel because it was snowing so hard <laughs> right and this was I, I think it was mid to late April yeah and it's like no 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 I don't want to be doing this I don't want to be you know so weather is a huge huge thing but you also have to take into consideration traffic Mm-hmm. You know, and how busy is the city or the town you're going to go to? Yeah. It's one thing with the highway. You know, you can usually make good time on a highway, but now I'm pulling in and I'm going into Chicago. I got toll roads. I mean, I've got all these other things, and I have to be at the northern point of Chicago in an hour. Can I make it? And yeah. so a lot of it, it's trial, trial and error, <laughs> but you can't miss a show. You can't miss, you know, I mean, that's what I tell people too, is like, in all the years I did this stuff, I only missed one event and it was because of snow and I still feel bad about it. Yeah. Yeah. Because a couple of people showed up, they were able to get there. I wasn't. Yeah. And I feel awful about that. Hmm. They showed up and they drove like 40 miles to see me Ugh. and I couldn't, you know, I, I couldn't get there. I wasn't there. I remember when we were doing the band stuff, like, I got sort of designated to drive at night. Right. The, because I was a sober one, and, like, the, the, the band wants to... It was a 13-piece ska reggae band. Right. With, like, another roadie <laughs> that was, um, like, you know... Like, he didn't... Do, it was, like, different responsibilities, and we had a road manager. But it was yeah. really funny, because this young 17-year-old kid, it's like... Everybody's conked out. It's like two in the morning, and then I'm, I have to get to the next city. Right. So, I, throughout the tour, I got to the point where I was always awake at night, and I don't remember most of the day. Right. We live, we arrive in the city, the next town, and I wake up like at four in the afternoon, and I'm like, we're, we're ready to roll. You know, right. it's like a really weird feeling. But we we did it during the summer, so it was just hot. <laughs> then I got hot, humid. This is like humid, <laughs> and then like yeah. it was just like crazy back then. But anyway, that's I I that I think it's fascinating because people need to plot it out. It's great because actually today's technology, you can almost put it in like Google Maps and do your directions. They give you an estimate Big time. time and start you know printing that out, plotting it out, and weather patterns. Do your due diligence to get yeah. yourself ready for weirdness, yeah. and also protect yourself. You have these great stories in there about like you know. You got a out-of-state license plate, 
you got this funky looking van, like things are looking weird. You're gonna get pulled over. Oh yeah. And like you're like you said, you I think like you, you had the, the beard, and mustache, long hair. It's like you're yeah, gonna look like... odd in some places. Yeah. I think the funny thing was was uh, Zach Galifranakis, you know, because he had that right. he has a really yeah. long bushy beard, yeah. and he, his stand up bit was he comes up and he says, "It's really hard to get a table for one at Chuck E. Cheese," <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. But. You had those experiences, so oh, big time. I felt like the police would see me coming, and you know, and and they were always looking for an excuse to pull me over. And you know, as I tell people, in 49 states, I have out-of-state plates, so I had better drive as carefully as I can mm-hmm. and obey the speed. And I don't always, of course, you yeah. can't, you know, but. Make sure you know. Go out of your way not to give them an excuse to pull you over, and you know, unless you're in Iowa, they'll make up something in Iowa to pull yeah, you over. Yeah, there's a great I mean, story in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's you know, on this new tour, I'm thinking, do I even want to go near Iowa? But I'm already getting phone calls from some friends saying we want you to come back, and it's like, really, Iowa? You know what? You just have to add in um, the fee that you're going to have to pay for the, the traffic fine. <laughs> <Right>. you <know? laughs> well, and that's the whole thing is all they ever do is write, write me warnings. Yeah. They just want to pull me over. And, 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 you know, I was talking about, I always say, if you want to search the van, go ahead. And all these lawyers and these, you know, other progressives I know are always saying, no, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. And it's like, yeah. I know I don't have to do yeah. that. But how long do I want to sit by the side of the road? I know there's nothing in the van except for tour merchandise. Right, right. You know, so why not tell them they're more than welcome to? That means they won't. Except for in Texas, of course. But that means they won't. And that means I'm going to get moving a lot quicker and stay on my my route. Yeah. Because you otherwise, know. you're going to add that extra time into your travel time. Right. And, you know, and it's like you are in the middle of nowhere. Don't be an ass. Yeah. You know, I mean, these some of these people are doing their jobs. And some of them certainly are not very pleasant people. <laughs> but if you smile and say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, sir, no, man, you know, don't give them reasons to detain you. Right. I mean, because we, um, the lead singer um, was, a, uh, was a, a, a black guy with, like, green dreadlocks. Right. Oh, and yeah. I was like, he was great. Like, he's like, one of, he's actually, because um, he was one of our best actors when we went to school in our uh, performing arts school. Yeah. And he ended up, um, I hadn't seen him in years, and I saw I was watching Breaking Bad, and there he was. He was like, um, Very cool. Um, the quiet henchman uh, for the, like the Chicken Man, uh-huh. and, like the the after um, Will White had killed like the first one, you sure. know. So, right. but it's really great to see him yeah. like um, in in that role, like, or seeing that like a uh, major profile. Yeah, he's doing yeah. he's doing well, and that's cool. But I it's uh, I wanted to ask you about because you were talking about making the money. You got to make you know your you you've got to make the dough. You got to collect your cash. Right. But you have the merchandise in place. Yeah. Um, what is some sales tips and techniques of now somebody's an audience has seen your film they're mm-hmm. doing the Q&A how do you make the transition into buy my shit pitch. Yeah, yeah you know it's like I mean like wh- wh- what did you learn over the seven years of right. what works and what doesn't work I saw this small band uh, in this uh, up in Harrisburg Pennsylvania and it was a family band and man they had it down I mean, I learned so much from that, and I do something similar, but he had this hilarious story to pitch, and he would run off stage and come back with this old beat-up suitcase and open it up, and the merch was, you know, spread all over the place, and he was making it look like he was so disheveled and they were so disorganized. The dude knew what he was doing. They sold so much stuff because they thought he was funny. They thought, hey, we're supporting a family. You know, you have to make the pitch. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and that's what a lot of people don't like to do. You know, it's the same thing with when you're trying to get your movie made. You have to ask people for money to get your film made. And right. A lot of filmmakers don't want to do that. Well, when you're trying to sell your stuff, how do you make a pitch that's non-offensive? Mm-hmm. Let's people know, you know, that you need to do this stuff. And you know, one of the stories I used to tell when I was getting ready for my pitch is I always say, you know, I do have a merchandise table here, and and then I go into this whole performance of, you know, and I know you people don't really know my grandmother, but you know, I'm her sole support, and I do this whole, you know, and Grammy needs an operation, and this is why I'm out here, and, I, and I'm really laying it on thick, right? <laughs> And people will start laughing, you know, because it's such an obvious blatant right, plea right. for this stuff. And then finally, in the end, I say, and, well, you know, really, I don't have a grandmother, but <laughs> you really need your help. They're laughing. If they're happy and they're laughing, they're going to come buy stuff. Got it, got the it. The odds are. So, you know, you don't, you never sound desperate. Yeah. You know, but it's also, you've had this great time. If you can't afford to come and buy, you know, the, the DVDs are only 10 bucks, or, the, you know, if you can't afford that... Tell your friends. Send your friends to my website, would you? You know, I'd really appreciate this. Right. This helps fund. This help. And a lot of times, and other filmmakers that I know have done this too. If, if you've made multiple films, they'll come. They'll watch. You know, one of your films and be jazzed about the whole thing. And they'll say, "Well, what else do you have?" Yeah. And they'll start buying your other work. You know. And we had the angry filmmaker T-shirts. Mm-hmm. And for those you know who don't know, my logo is a giant finger with sprocket holes running. <laughs> down it and those things on college campus were pure gold yeah you know everybody wanted to buy an angry filmmaker t-shirts um the problem with that is you know i've got to buy all the merchandise ahead of time yeah and t-shirts and hoodies get really really expensive and heavy and heavy you put it like just a standard like box yeah oh my gosh it gets heavy well and i use these plastic travel containers oh good yeah good one um because you know i'm always worried that something's going to leak yeah, I'm yeah. always worried that so everything's got to stay dry because you don't want to show up with a whole bunch of wet T-shirts, yeah, you know, or wet merchandise that you're trying to sell, uh, and so it's kind of an interesting deal. But I would say, you know, make your pitch, but make it funny, mm-hmm. and don't take it personally if everybody gets up and leaves. Always, and this is, you know, when I first started out, it was cash or checks. <laughs> you know, now we have PayPal, and now we have card well, readers right, and all right. that stuff. Because I learned early on, I adapted all the card readers really early, early on because. I realized that I get so many people to say, I really want to buy one of your things. I'm going to go out and find an ATM and I'll be right back. Yeah. And you would never see them again. Yeah. And so now, you know, being able to say, oh, no, of course I'll take your card. Of course I can, you know, and you swipe it and you go. Yeah. And I was going to say, probably after I got my first card reader, I'm going to say that the next three gigs that I did probably paid for the whole upgrade of the phone wow. and everything else because suddenly... You know, you're the saying, convenience. Yeah, yeah, and people are saying, oh, you'll take a card? Cool. Boom, Here I'm it in. Is. I'm in the moment. Go. Right. And a lot of times they'll buy more mm. because they have the card. Yeah. You know, if you're counting out cash, yeah. then it's like, I, I, I think I'll just take, you know, one DVD. But it's like, oh, I've got my card. You know what? I'll take a couple of DVDs and, oh, T-shirts? Yeah, yeah. You know, and so you find that that works really well, Interesting. too. Interesting. And for a while, on, on the one tour in the summer, uh, my daughter was with me, and she was, I think, 14 or 15 at the time. Mm-hmm. She was brilliant at the merch table. You know, here's this cute little girl, you know, and buy my dad's stuff. And she, <laughs> she could outsell me. Right. You know, because all these people were saying, oh, what a nice kid. Of course I'm going to support her dad, you know. Oh, my God. Just, it reminds me of this. Um, I was my daughter's Girl Scout brownie troop leader mm-hmm. because we came new to the, the area. And 
they didn't have any open troops. So th- there was all these like um, these kids, these girls that right. were left without a troop. Right. So I stepped up to become the troop leader of a Girl Scout troop. You know, yeah. had to learn. I all was the a rules. brownie, and that's a different story. Oh, okay, yeah. So I remember when it comes time, the you know the big marketing push is the Girl Scout cookies. Yeah. So I was already really, really interested in marketing and sales. So I thought to myself, like, what could I bestow some knowledge on these young ladies right. about how to do this? So we got, um, we got, I got them in line, and I said, and I built this little like cardboard door to be like, we're gonna do some role playing simulation. <laughs> You're gonna knock on the door, and then everybody's gonna get their chance to pitch, like, well, you want to buy some Girl Scout cookies, right. and I'm gonna give you all these different scenarios that could happen. And, but I go, I, I told them, it says, I want all of you to remember what you're really selling. What are you really selling? Well, we're selling cookies. Again, you're not selling cookies. I go, what you're going to go to the door, and each and every one of you are going to, your job is to sell cuteness. Cuteness. So they all came in, and we did like, I, I'd be like this angry, like, I don't want anything, like, you know, and they were, but I, tr- I we went through role playing of like how to handle rejection, objections, right. and then we kept reminding them, like, this is the moment where you turn those dimples on and then say, well, if you don't want any, if you don't like cookies, perhaps you can, because they have a donation program, you would donate to uh, buy some cookies for the troops. Like, so they, we had all these things and like, it was really fun and, and funny, but it reminded me of, you can't say no to like these, right. if, if that's what's really they're selling. If they're selling cuteness, yeah. you can't say no. Oh no. Like I have to, I'll buy, even though I don't want to eat the cookies, I'll buy it for like right. the troops or I'll buy it for a friend right. or whatever it might be. Yeah. yeah. Give them a reason to say yes. Yeah. Don't give them a reason <laughs> to say maybe. Because you know, if they say maybe, that's no. Right. You know, I'll think about it. Oh no, they're gone. Right. But yeah, no, yeah. no, you want to give them, and that's the whole thing when you're selling your merch and stuff out there too. Give them a reason to want it. Yeah. You know, and I always had made up stories about the different merchandise, and I'd hold stuff up, you know, and it's just, and part of it is how motivated am I at, at the moment, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, sometimes it'll be a total ad lib, uh, but you never know. And, and if people laugh, you know, you have them. Because people, when they go out, especially see a filmmaker, even if it's a depressing film, you know, they go out to have a good time. They don't go out to be depressed. So if you're going to show a depressing film or a, a difficult film, you need to also be funny about it with the Q&A and with those things. You've got to bring, because, you know, the film ends and everybody's like looking at their feet going, you know, oh, God, this is so depressing. Yeah. That's not, they're not going to buy anything and they're probably not going to come back. Right. But if you do a fun Q&A, if you try to change gears, yeah. you know, because most of my films are about serious issues. Yeah. You know, there's some humor in them, but they're, you know, my uh, feature Gas Cafe, I mean, that's death, sex, and religion. Mm-hmm. It doesn't get any funnier than that, right? <laughs> it's a very dark movie, but I know how to handle a Q&A, and I know how to get people laughing and talking, because there are some funny moments in the film. They're dark funny, but, you know, so you have to remember that people who are coming to see you, they're coming to see you to have a good time, mm-hmm. not to be depressed, yeah, you know, and so even if your film is kind of depressing, and it's an important film, how do you end the night on a high note? Mm-hmm. Because, like I say, if people walk out and they're totally depressed, are they going to say, "Oh God, I went and saw this guy. The film was really good, but you know, I don't ever want to see something like that again." Now, what have you done? Yeah. It was like we saw this really, really tough film, but. You know, the filmmaker was so amazing, and he told these different stories, and it was, you know, this this difficult film becomes a positive in their mind. Yeah, because the overall experience had some... 
yeah. transformation and ebbs and flows. It reminds me um, the story about Kevin Smith. Like he was he was mentioning like he showed one of his films. He had a Q and A, and he overheard some guys in the audience. Like after the Q and A, like he overheard somebody, some guys talking in the lobby. They're like, "Yeah, that film kind of sucked, but the fat guy was funny." Yeah, and he that's when it clicked to him. Like, all right. Like maybe this is what I uh, he calls it a gift for gab right. to somebody like oh he's got it and he built his whole empire off that no. in that world yeah. and yeah. Um, so that's probably like a a, a very glowing example of this level oh, of he's, yeah. audience engagement well and he does he's so totally uh, gets involved with his audience yeah and you know and it's funny because I respect his films I respect. I like him. Yeah. You know, funny, funny guy and stuff. Do I like his films? That's a totally different story. Right. You know, I mean, some of his films I think are interesting. Some of his films, eh, less so. But if he's coming to town, I want to go see him. Oh, yeah. Because it's going to be a good night. Yeah. You know, and that's, and to a little, to a certain extent, that's what we're selling. Mm -hmm. To a point, too, is spend your 10 bucks or whatever it is to come out to this little theater, little hole in the wall, see my film. We're going to talk about it. And, I did a thing in Chicago where, you know, the first question I take on the Q&A, the guy rips me a new asshole. <laughs> he really didn't like yeah. it. You know, and how do you recover from that? Well, I did. I was, you know, I thanked him for being there. I wasn't angry that he didn't like the film, you know. But I, th you know, thanked him for his comments. I made a couple of comments, you know, about his comments. You know, I mean, I didn't duck the question. I answered the question thanked him, you know, for his question and tried to move on as quickly as I could on the stuff. And I think I sold that night, I sold about $400 worth of merchandise afterwards. So it was a good night, even though the Q&A started off on a negative. Yeah. You know, and after he finished his question, I mean, the whole audience was just quiet. Yeah. It was like, oh, shit. Yeah, because in the book you what? mentioned that it was like this, um, everything was positive going in, the, the yeah. film ends, you're ready to go to the Q&A, and this one guy, just the, the questionnaire, just the question just leveled the room yeah. and then you like you mentioned you have to have the skill sets to right like you know judo alright how do we get this and get everybody back into this other zone where it's right. like positive yeah, yeah right. it's and I mean and that was hard work I mean I won't say that oh yeah I was able to just you know, <laughs> I mean, it's like, and you're conscious of what you're doing and you're conscious of what you're saying but you want to take that and turn it into a positive so that people came up to me afterwards and a few people said wow you really handled that really really well but the whole thing is I don't take any of it personally. If you don't like my film or the book, it's fine, great. You know, I don't have a problem with that. It's not like you don't like me. I'm still a really nice person. Yeah. You know, you did not like something I create. I get that. I'm not going to like everything that somebody else does too. So, you know, and it's my advice to filmmakers is don't be so serious and don't take comments or criticism personally. Right? You know, be ready to say, you know, it's just something I created. And I'm sorry you don't like it, but boy, let's go. We, we, there's other common ground here. Mm -hmm. There's other things we can talk about. But to have somebody tell me that they don't like my film, you know, does it hurt? Well, of course it hurts a little bit because we want people to like yeah. it. Do I take it personally? Not at all. You know, because maybe you'll like the next film or, you know, you'll say, well, I didn't like the guy's movie, but God, he was funny. Right, you right. Know, the fat guy was funny. Yeah, that's really, <laughs> you so know, Kevin and, Smith. And, yeah, <laughs> and you, you have to, if you're going to be out in front of the audience and put yourself there, and I do think all filmmakers should do it. I think they should get out of their comfort zone at some point and have screenings that are not comfortable mm -hmm. and see how their films really, really do and see how they handle it. You know, because you have to be ready for that. Not everybody thinks you're brilliant. Yeah. You know, and so, but if you put yourself into a situation like that, 
roll with it. Go that I was at a film festival once where the filmmaker was so negative about the screening, about everything. You know, I I know he was was not asked back. I know he didn't. Yeah. You know, and it's like, what's the point, man? You just turned off an awful lot of people to your film and to you. Mm-hmm. That was the shortest Q and A I ever saw. The film was interesting, but after the guy got to his attitude, I wasn't going to ask him a question. You know, right. go, man, go, get. You know, uh, and you know what you say what you do and especially at film festivals and I always tell filmmakers if you go to the film festival you know no matter what happens be gracious the people at the festival are working their asses off oh yeah they are too and if there's a mistake they feel worse than you do you know they really really do because they want everything to go off without a hitch can't happen but they try their best and if something happens and it's a problem be gracious they will remember and they will tell other people about how cool you were you know, and that'll open up a lot of other doors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, in is I'm drawing a blank. Your canine companion, Moses. Moses, right? Yeah. What has the reaction been? When did you release the book? Uh, in March of 2017. So just a couple months ago. Oh, okay. So, um, what has been the reaction um, outside of the people that gave the blurbs, but just like sort right. of the reaction to the book because it did. I got to the end. <laughs> And it did. I was. I got choked up. Yeah. You know, if, yeah. if anybody's had you know a, a, a pet in their life and they had experience like that, yeah. Um, like it's so funny. It's. I don't think I'm giving anything away. Right. Because you. you Please don't. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's it's it was it's really touching at uh-huh. the end. So what what has the reaction to the book been so far from? It, it's funny because different reactions in that some people. You know, I've said I didn't realize your your life was so rough. I didn't realize that you know you were doing all these things, and I get why you had the dog there. And I see how the dog was kind of an anchor for all this stuff. A lot of people want to travel with their animals, you know. And any kind of a dog lover, any kind of a pet lover, likes the book because yeah. you know he's he's got a real person. He had a oh, real yeah. personality, and you wrote it quite well. About, yeah. Like, well, the, you know, <laughs> we spent a lot of time together, that old dog and I. Um, but and, and I could I could not have done that trip without him. Those trips I could not have gone solo on all this other stuff. Um, you know, people like the fact that I think that some people think it's a story about a filmmaker, but it's really it's a relationship story. Mm-hmm. It's about me and the dog. It's about me and my daughter. It's about my love affair with the road. I mean, the book is is about a lot of things. Yeah. Um, the dog, you know, we all, in, in school, we all had to read Travels with Charlie or something similar, you know, and I was the one who said, oh, God, wouldn't that be great? I'd love to do that sometime, cross-country, you know, in a truck with my do dog. It, do it, in like, what, <laughs> seven, eight years now? Yeah, I right. did it 14 times. 14 times, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I know what Steinbeck was going after there. Um, but it, it's a special time, and he was a special dog, and I think people see that. I'm hoping that they see that. Um, most people I know get emotional at the end. Oh, yeah, I did. Yeah. 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 But like I said, he was... Sam. Sorry. I'm getting that. Oh, that's fine. That's I never fine. had a Barbara Walters moment <laughs> until now. <So. laughs> no, but, it, you know, I mean, one of the great things, and I was walking my, my other dog mm-hmm. uh, yesterday, and, and I was thinking about it, and this is something that I learned from both of them, both the dogs, but especially from Moses in the book, he was always in the moment. He yeah. didn't care about the past and he didn't care about the future. 
And, you know, I want to try to be more like my dog. Yeah. Um, you know, but he was. He was always in the moment. And that's what was really, really important. And that's what he, one of the lessons he taught me. Yeah. was to be in the moment and so you know people who know dogs people who like dogs really do love the book and I'm really satisfied I'm really happy about that you know um, do you think this is some of your best work I've had other people tell me it's the best thing I've ever written and that included my films and everything yeah um, I I always like to say you know my best film my best book is the one I haven't made yet right I'm very proud of this book yeah and I think that I did good yeah. Could I, you know, do I see changes or th- things that I would, you know, rather like to rewrite or whatever? Of course. But we have to hit a point where we say, this is the best I can make it at this point. I'm going to release it and it's time to move on. Mm-hmm. And the next thing I do is going to be better because I've learned f- from this. Um, but th- this, th- this book is really special to me because all those trips were really special. Mm-hmm. And each trip had its own magic to it, had its own um, thing. And it's nice. I mean, I still like to look at some of the chapters and some of the stories. And I, I can just jump right back to that place, hmm. me and the dog. And it's kind of fun. Yeah. Now, I, I mean, there, I can see it as a movie. I can see it, you know, just uh, yeah. or an episodic show. Because there's, there's, like you said, there's a lot of layers to the relationships right. in your book that talk about that. As we wrap up, as we're getting in lunch, because <laughs> right. we need to get our lunch, um, is there something I should have asked you that I didn't ask you in terms of this this whole concept of the or what other for other filmmakers listening in, like, right. wow, like going in the road right. with, my, with my animal, my best friend, or something like that? We're making it happen. Um, anything I didn't cover that I probably should have. You know, one of the things I always tell people because they say it must have been hard, it must have been this, and and it was all of those things. I mean, there were times when it was absolutely miserable, and there were times when you know I just wanted to be home or I wanted to be someplace else. I want you know, but I'm still doing it. You (laughs) know, and so there is something about the whole journey and the whole trip that is magic. And you know, I, I think at one point I became hooked on the road. You know, I am a road dog. You know, and, and some people say, you know, road dog, that's about the dog. And it's like, no, he was yeah. a road dog, but so am I. Yeah. And, you know, as hard as things got, I was always ready to do the next tour. And so, I, you know, I think that that's the important thing is you're going to have ups and downs on all this stuff. But you're going to have more ups and downs if you see it through. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's an adventure and life is an adventure. You know, and I'm getting ready to do this again. We're going to make a film this time because my daughter's coming with me. Nice. Uh, and so, and I'm going to do a fundraiser through Indiegogo soon. But we're going to shoot stuff on the road. We're going to post things because having someone with me is the first time I'll be able to have a little help driving or shooting or whatever it is. And so we are going to make a film about this whole whole thing. Because the book was, as I said, it's about the dog, it's about my daughter, it's about me and all the relationships. Well, I'm taking my daughter, my new dog, in the old van, and we're going to go do this again for six or seven weeks. That is amazing. Last summer, we, my daughter and I just did a, solo, uh, a really small road trip. We went down to Sacramento yeah. to go to the comic convention. But she, I could see that these memories being built in her. Like she, just the simple, it's something simple as... It's the summer, driving down the coast, or I mean, the, down to the Oregon, right. down, down Interstate 5 into California, yeah. um, that whole stretch. But she was just listening, we were just listening to music. 
and she was just staring out the window and just being able to stop in these little spots to get like Dutch Bros or something. And you know, I thought the the, the, com- the comic convention is what she was going to remember, but she say no. Th- that whole stretch of just driving back and forth is what she remembers. And the time with you. Yes, and that's what she's. Those are the memories she's building up for yeah. life. Yeah. And I was like, it's always those little things. Those. It's not what you expect. And yeah. It's not what you think it's going to be. Like I said, my daughter went with me when she was 15, um, and she's she's 25 now, <laughs> and she's excited. You know, yeah. and she talked to her boyfriend, uh, her fiance, the guy she lives with, and she's like, I'm going to go do this. And he's like, cool. Yeah. You know, and we're going to make more memories. And for me, it's, it's also, you know, and this is the choking up part too, I'm probably not going to get a chance like this again to go out with her at this age. No. At 25 and, you know, with the dog and all that stuff. And I know it's going to be special. Yeah. You know, and life is too short. We need to all have these special moments, these special memories, whatever they might be. Yep. Yep. And, you know, a road trip is the coolest family thing you can do, especially a father-daughter kind of a thing. It's just, it's the memories, you know, I mean, I've still got so many wonderful memories. She talks about it all the time, the old trip, you know. (laughs) And so, and this one is going to be new memories and it's going to be different because we're both at different, you know, points. She's a writer. She's a photographer. She's going to be writing about this trip she's going to you know she's going to for some of the readings we do she's my opening act she's going to read from some of her work which makes me really proud yeah but she's going to have her camera and she's going to get to meet a whole bunch of my friends you know that she's read about and heard about and stuff and I'm really excited about that and proud about that you know so this is and of course we've got another dog we're taking he's also an old chocolate lab Mickey (laughs) you know but I mean so it's 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 going to be a hoot and I think that people need to filmmakers or not you need to open up yourself to these experiences mm-hmm. life is too short make memories yeah. have a good time don't take it seriously hit the road hit the road jack yeah <laughs> big time big time awesome thank you so much oh god thank you man this has been great to talk yeah it's been fantastic yeah if you like this interview, please think about leaving a ratings and review over in iTunes for me. Just go to filmtrooper.com forward slash iTunes. That will take you to the iTunes page. And any ratings and review would be very, very helpful in spreading the word about this particular podcast. And of course, don't go away empty-handed because I have a free gift for you over at freegearguide.com. It's an equipment list of everything I use to make a feature film for $500 without a crew. Again, that's at freegearguide.com. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I will see you next time. Film Trooper, filmmaking freedom for the independent.